0: Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast defining the experience of being a young adult with cancer.
1: Each episode, we explore issues impacting young adults in and after treatment.
0: Like what you hear? Have something to add?
1: Come join us for next month's recording, the third Tuesday at 6 p.m.
0: Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life on Pause. Uh, My name is Casey, and I have Abby here with me. Today, we have the privilege of talking with Dr. Mizrahi and Dr. Karu, two specialists who work in the field of exercise oncology. So just getting started, I want to say thank you both for, for joining us and, and talking with us. I think we often talk about the AYA population as, as being underserved, and a lot of that is, is changing um, in a positive manner. But I think this area in particular, there just seems to be a gap in knowledge and, and a lot still to be learned. So really appreciate you both sitting down and talking with us today. It's interesting, I would say, for so long, the, the focus in cancer has been, you know, how to save lives, and we're very fortunate to have gotten to a place where, where luckily we have many cancer survivors who will hopefully live many more decades, um, and, and exercise is a huge part in um, ensuring quality of life throughout that time. So just want to say thank you and looking forward to today's discussion. To get started, if you would, um, both please you know, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about uh, the research and what you're working on, and what motivated you to come into the field. Should I go first? Yes. Thank you yeah. for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so yeah, I'm Dr. David Mizrahi. I'm from Sydney, Australia. I'm a research fellow at the Daffodil Center at the University of Sydney, but I'm currently living in the US for four months doing a Fulbright Fellowship. Uh, in Memphis at the Saint Jude uh, Re- Children's Research Hospital, so it's a privilege to be there and to learn about their childhood cancer and exercise research that they do. Uh, I'm an exercise oncology researcher and an exercise physiologist uh, specialized in cancer care. So my journey started uh, when I did a master's research degree looking at women with relapsed ovarian cancer. They're very sick; they get a lot of treatment, and they don't get any exercise advice. So I did some research with them looking at exercise during chemotherapy, and it was, it was really beneficial for this population, and many of which have never done exercise before. So that was one project really exciting to be involved in. And then I got a job at the Children's Hospital. When I was working there um, as a data manager, nothing to do with exercise, I found out or I noticed that they weren't getting any exercise support at all, except the ones with the highest needs. And I thought this isn't good enough because, you know, children should be exercising and teenagers should be exercising for, for general well-being. And then so I did a PhD in that space uh, and it was well received by the patients and the families and the, and the clinicians as well. And then since then, I've just been working with my colleagues and to try to make this more standard of care. I'm privileged to be the chair of the uh, Exercise and Cancer Committee of Clinical Oncology Society of Australia to try and advocate for change uh, for how the medical community treat their patients and manage them with exercise and to try to get more government support to fund these positions to help the people who need it.
2: Thank you, David. And thank you so much, Casey and Abby, for the introduction. So I'm Maxim Carreau. I'm an exercise physiologist and a psychologist in pediatric oncology. I'm working mostly with children, adolescent and young adult patients with cancer and survivors.
1: I just wanted to say, again, thank you so much for coming to speak to us. Um, I don't think I introduced myself yet. I'm Abby, so I'm a leukemia survivor and also a medical student. Um, so I'm definitely very interested in hearing what you have to say today and what we can learn from it.
0: I'd love to talk about the, the role of the exercise after treatment, but I think maybe it's, it's more appropriate to start with exercise during treatment and knowing that there's some ongoing research there. I think the biggest constraint for for patients exercising during treatment are going to be physical constraints, right? When either they have ailments or are not feeling well enough to to exercise. However, in the periods that they they do feel like they can exercise, I'm curious to get your input on on what works well. You know, what what do you recommend um, for helping patients undergoing treatment to to stay as active as they can? That's such a good question. It's such an important question, and I think what's important is describing to, to patients and families about exercise is breaking down the barriers of, of what can and can't be done and sometimes starting as simple as just walking around the block you know if it's in the hospitals going to the bathroom a few times up and down just getting out of bed if you're in bed for long periods can be classified as exercise and I think that can be the barrier sometimes with starting exercise if, if it feels like it's going to be too challenging so just get a start on something and Something is better than nothing is sort of the ethos. You know, we can do exercise in bed. We can do uh, resistance bands. You can get like pedals, like for a bike. And so you don't have to to feel like you need to commit to doing a full-on gym-based program, which might seem too difficult. And then like you said as well, sometimes you might be feeling better. So there's the concept of chemotherapy periodized exercise where one week or two weeks you might be feeling really bad. And that's when you can be doing just basic. But then when you start to feel better, that's when you can start to challenge yourself and ramp it up for those periods, whether that be the more minutes or higher intensity type of exercise. Uh, So I think that's a really important concept. When you're feeling well, go for it. When you're feeling less well, um, still you might be able to do something basic. And I think that's important rather than doing nothing at all, unless you have really bad symptoms. The big idea
2: about that is moving more. But for example, for pediatric population or just also for patients with cancer, sometimes we just need to have fun and we just need to move. So these guidelines are about, about moving more. Sometimes it's just be out of the bed. If you want to eat, you need to be out of the bed and, and eat at a table instead of eating in your bed. When you don't have cancer, it might seem really Easy to be out of bed and eat at a table, but it's not because when you are receiving chemotherapy treatment or other type of cancer treatments, you can have a lot of fatigue, be really weak. So just moving more—it's really important, and it can be just two minutes per day, but it's better than nothing. And one of
0: the challenges with pediatric and AYA is the discrepancy in ages. You know what you're going to do for a 25-year-old is very different what you'll do with a 12 year old to what you'll do with a six year old and the exercise program is is completely different in terms of how you interact so for the young kids it might just be play-based playing is exercise dancing um you know nintendo Wii fits. but what we found is really popular is uh pedometers or like fitbits uh like gamification where you can um you know measure your step count and be competitive with yourself and this can link to apps and you can get rewards and points based on your movement. Um, and those are really popular and gaining popularity. We're seeing now in Australia that there's programs that are funded to give all kids who have been diagnosed with cancer a Fitbit so they can monitor their activity and be motivated. So that's a really exciting change that we have. That's a great motivation. But one of the challenges as well, so Casey, I think you mentioned this, is like you're interested in exercise and that's great, but a lot of people aren't interested in exercise. And that's the real big challenge. Because if, you, if you've been ex- interested before you're diagnosed, you know, you're really motivated to get back into it. But if you've had no interest in exercise, if you're just not sporty or you're more interested in arts and reading, that can be very much a big challenge to start the exercise program. So that's where I find is, is the biggest challenge. Those are great points. And I. I, I never would have thought of the gamification just being helpful, helpful motivation, um, especially for for younger patients. So uh, that would be a very, very interesting way to hopefully, hopefully motivate more and more exercise. I'm curious in, in both of your you know, work, what does this look like in terms of a, a clinical intervention? Speaking as a former patient, you know, when you discuss exercise and, and things related to mobility... The intervention that I can think of is like if you have pain enough to the point where you need to see a physical therapist, that is like what the discussion is around, right? But overall activity level, I, I don't necessarily remember formal questions or interventions around that. So, so with both of your specialties, how does that come into play when working directly with patients?
2: That's a really great question, Casey. So we, from a clinical perspective, a lot of things is that some patients are not motivated to do exercise or also they don't know they can do exercise. There's a lot to explain to patients because sometimes there's a lot of fear of doing exercise because they are in pain and just going out of the bed is so hard for them. And that's correct. So there's a big part about education before starting a physical activity program. It's like what you want to do what you can do, and how can I help you?
0: Yeah, and I'll add to that. There's a few things in terms of the exercise prescription. I think it's really important to have a detailed interview with, with the patients or kids or, or young adults about what they actually like. I think it's really important because you know, if, if cycling is really good but they hate cycling, you know, they're not going to adhere to the program. So it's really important to find out what type of exercise they like, Or what they'd like to give a go to, like maybe they want to get into something new that you can structure your program around, I think is really important. Uh, But as Maxime said, the education is critical. So educating the parents, because kids, it's hard for them to exercise on their own. You know, they need social support. They need their siblings or friends or parents to be involved if they're quite young. Uh, You know, active families will lead to active kids, basically, as well. But from my point of view, it's really important is that it's the education and the behavior change because if we can get a, a child to become active and sustain those activities as they're a teenager, they're more likely to be an active adult. But um, if, if they're an inactive child, they're more likely to be an inactive adult. And the reason that's important is because of we, we know the potential late effects that occur in the population because of the treatment of cardiovascular and metabolic issues that can occur. So if we can potentially mitigate those issues with uh, by being more active and provide protection cardiovascular protection because of that lifelong activity patterns that's a huge win and will decrease that that burden in the population so that that type of work is is ongoing but it's like like you said at the beginning Casey, it's all this effort has gone into su- survival increasing the survival rate which is fantastic but now we have to make sure that we can allow this population to have a a higher quality of life, quantity and quality of life, where they can have a completely normal life, participate in the activities that they want for as long as possible and live a a relatively healthy life. That's the goal now.
2: You just said, David, about the family and how it's important to have support. Mm. And having your family with you, the parents when you are a child or your wife when you are a young adult or your parents, and there's this type of overprotection. And that's totally normal. But we want to protect each other. And sometimes we are seeing exercise as something very painful because of the condition, because of the cancer treatments. So if we are able to work with the patients, but also with the families, that's something really great because doing exercise, during treatments is great for the after treatments.
1: I spent a lot of months in patients. And I was extremely deconditioned to the point where I would have trouble just like standing up if I sat down on the floor or something like that. So that was like um, both emotionally and physically difficult. I was just curious, like what kind of resources or like interventions you're kind of planning for patients that are maybe like in that
0: um, deconditioned state? That's such a good question. And it's, you know, to do research in that setting, it, it is difficult. You know, we're talking about a unique and small population. So it's hard to do good research. And obviously like probably the most protected clinically. But as you said, you know, it's a challenging situation for you clinically and quality of life. So if we can prevent that, if we if we know that this these symptoms are going to occur, maybe we can try and slow that decline by doing some sort of activity, you know, whether it be walking or like, you know, basic strengthening activity like chair squats or, you know, light resistance bands. But I think the big challenge, so psychology is pretty embedded, I'd say, into cancer care. But exercise, it's only new, like it's in the last 10, 15 years that there's been really good studies. And as Maxime said, in, in, it's more in the adult space. There's less centers around the world that are encouraging exercise during treatment. It's only more recent. So it is an emerging area. And then we're seeing more and more that there are benefits. So for us, that's, that's the most important thing. If we can't get that support from the medical team, uh, the patients are less likely to do it. If I'm summarizing correctly, it reminds me of what I heard from my dermatologist, which is the best sunscreen is the sunscreen you wear. So it's like the best exercise is the exercise you do. But I, I'm curious if, you know, as you mentioned, step one is like, how do we motivate, you know, those maybe who aren't as motivated to exercise to get active? But in a world where you have that motivation set, what you know, rough structure would you recommend? What regimen would you recommend? And I'm sure that's that's different by the patient. I'm curious for the cancer population in general, you know, a balance of uh, what I think of like weightlifting activities and cardiovascular training activities. What do you find is most helpful and leads to some of those benefits um, to mitigate you know the side effects of treatment? Great question, and I hope in a few years there will be some universal position statement in this population of, of your question exactly, what should be done, because we have that in the adult space. So in the adult space, it is important and it's recommended to do a combination of both aerobic-type exercises, so anything that gets your heart rate up, like walking, fast walking, cycling, that type of, of activities, and that's got really good cardiovascular benefits, it also has benefits for mental health and fatigue. So I think that's about 150 minutes a week of aerobic exercise and then a few days a week uh, of resistance training as well. So that can be body weight exercises or bands or, or lifting weights in children or in, I think in AYAs, that probably will apply as well because we have that the need for cardiovascular strengthening and cardiovascular protection but also uh, the physical function potential loss as well. Like we know frailty can be an issue. So if we can preserve muscle mass, that's important. And I think strength training is probably a barrier as well, particularly in females as well, uh, for getting into it. Like there's the thought about, I don't want to get bulky, but it's not about that. It's about strengthening the muscles and you can achieve that without getting bulky as well. So overcoming that is important. But in children, I think we can still be doing strengthening exercises as well without lifting weights i think that's important particularly as children or anyone during treatment are going to experience i think it's up to 10 percent of muscle loss in in only a, a couple of months and that's really a fast onset so i think a combination of the two is important but it's not just those two i think we also want to think about balance type exercises you know for anyone that's had brain cancer or peripheral neuropathy, so damage to the nerves from a, from a range of different types of chemotherapies. If people have balance loss, um, you know, balance training is really challenging, uh, really important to, to overcome that challenge. Um, and also strength, um, stretching exercises or even yoga type exercises, that can be good for relaxation and sort of mind-body exercises as well. And to complete the first part of the
2: question about exercise at home, to do it, you just need to find what you like. Because if you are trying to do like running, but you don't like it, you will just not do it. So at the end, it will not be a good exercise for you.
0: Yeah, I think that the main thing is adherence. Like a lot of people like yeah. sport. So, you know, if it's a team sport or an individual sport, you can get your cardio in that setting yeah. as well. I think that's important. But then there might be like financial barriers, like playing tennis. It might be expensive to keep, you know, hiring courts. So we have to think about from a financial perspective as well, what can sort of work. team said, you know, we don't want people to be coming back to the hospital all the time or even having telehealth. It's a great start to, to get started. We want people to develop those behaviours and then be able to continue it themselves. So that's really important to find something that they enjoy or, or maybe a gym buddy, you know, that can be really important for adhering, adherence as well. So social support is really important too definitely having someone with you doing exercise can be really helpful the gym buddy is Mm a great idea yeah i will say i have i have my dog as a as another motivation as well gets gets me out and walking so Mm um some activity there the best gym buddy there is abby anything you would you would add on your experience and and what you felt worked well what didn't work well
1: yeah so just to be honest i exercise not as much as I should. And when I do, it's because I know that I need to, and not so much that I have like one activity I really enjoy. So I think for me, like when I was able to go to physical therapy, that was like inspiring for me to have this like kind of set intervention. Like you said, like the adherence, the accountability, and then outside of physical therapy, because I was going every like two weeks or so, then I would try and do other things on my own. But then once that ended, I feel like I kind of fell off of it a little bit. So I, and I know that is a problem a lot with insurance. Like they're like, okay, you can only have X number of visits and that's it. So I think for me, like something scheduled is always really helpful. And um, I wish there was more of that. Also, the pandemic kind of just like (laughs) messed up a lot of things that people could go and do. So I think it, it was definitely hard to stay on track.
0: Yeah. The pandemic really changed like i mean in terms of exercise as a critical intervention it pushed it down the ladder and obviously pandemic became critical services only so that was really challenging but it also started up this whole intervention of telehealth and exercise over video which was very unique before uh but because of the pandemic everyone had to flip and and now it's like the light bulb moment it's like there's a demand for this to have a a sort of integrated service um you People don't have to come in and they can still get their exercise programs, which is really, I think, a good blended model to have. Uh, in Australia, it's a big country and half the patients are coming from 300 miles away. Like it's, so it's not feasible for them to keep coming back in. So at least it allows you know that population to receive services. So that's, that's really cool. In Australia, we are fortunate that exercise physiologists and physiotherapists the government will pay for anyone who's had a chronic disease to see them up to 5 times a year in addition to what their insurance policy has so we're really fortunate uh, but it's not embedded yet into standard care a lot of the doctors aren't referring to them even though that they're eligible so we have a really lucky opportunity that you know we can refer on these these survivors into community programs near their home but it's not being done yet so uh, hopefully, Australia will have really good models of care in that space, and hopefully the other countries will start to see that exercise can make patients make people feel better but it, it will save everyone money in the long run. I think that's important if it can prevent you from coming back to the hospital for you know chronic disease or another issue and you know lower medication uptake or whatnot, it's going to save everyone money, and that that has been proven in other disease populations as well so you know exercise really is medicine. And if you could package all the benefits of exercise into a little pill, uh, every doctor would be prescribing it. So I think, you know, as long as it's slowly becoming more and more recognized, hopefully it'll be more of a standard therapy in the future. I'm curious if there are particular forms of exercise that you've found work better for cancer patients, maybe than the average population. I think back to to my own experience, like there are times where, and this could be both during and after treatment, but like. For during treatment, you know gyms are, are unfortunately full of germs, and so if you're pretty immunocompromised, it's you know not recommended to go to those at that time. Or perhaps you're dealing with some of that frailty that you mentioned, and, and there are exercises that are lower impacts you know, on the joints. I'm just curious if you found something that you know works particularly
2: well for cancer patients. You have different type of exercise and can be very helpful to improve your health, your physical function, but. First, you really need to have fun doing it. You really need to enjoy it. I will give you a little example. I had an exercise concert a few weeks ago. And the patient was, she was really into strength training and doing weightlifting. It was really nice for her. She enjoyed it so much. And the endurance thing, running, cycling, walking, is not her thing. And that's really correct. But that's also a very important thing to do to prevent any cardiotoxicity or just to improve the health of our earth and the, the global health. So you just need to find a good balance between
0: everything. But most importantly, you need to have fun. Um, from my perspective, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a difficult question to answer because every different person is a different person and has yeah. different Interests, different goals, different exercise history, maybe different limitations, particularly during treatment. I like to keep things very basic. If we're talking from maybe like a 15-year-old and up where you could keep it structured, I think structured probably starts from about that age. um, Where we can do like very basic, you know, physical function is poor. Maybe we can do like chair squats and wall push-ups and, you know, low-budget activities because they can be done at home as well. And then that's pretty easy to, to ramp up in terms of how challenging you make it. You know, you can do more reps or more sets or you can start to hold some cans of spaghetti or whatever to add some weight. Um, and this can all be, you know, you don't have to worry about not going to the gym because this might be challenging enough for you to start off with. And I think that's really important.
2: And you know, there's this great hypothesis about doing light intensity instead of moderate to vigorous physical activity. So the current guidelines recommend of doing moderate to vigorous physical activities. If you are watching for the World Health Organization or just some American guidelines about physical activity, it's a lot about moderate to vigorous physical activity. But when you are in treatment or even when you have finished your treatment, it can be really hard to reach the moderate intensity physical activity or even the vigorous physical activity intensity. If you are doing, for example, light intensity, working, for example, you will be able maybe to do it during 30 minutes. And if you are doing moderate, it will be maybe for only 10 minutes. So sometimes it's better to do light intensity than moderate vigorous to vigorous like physical activity intensity. So you will be able to do more exercise at the end of the day. The best thing to remember, just do something. Mm. It can be anything, just move and just have your, you need to increase a little bit your heart rate. And yes, just every day, like even if it's just five minutes, mm. it's just better than doing nothing. And doing just doing one time 30 minutes, and then
0: get rest for one month. So it's just moving. Yeah, and, and to add to that, um, so in Australia, we were the first globally for our peak oncology group, the Clinical Oncology Society of Australia. They were the first to publish a position statement endorsing and supporting exercise in cancer care for patients and survivors, which is fantastic. They set these guidelines, you should achieve 150 minutes and, or a week and two, two strength exercise sessions. And it was exciting. And then it got criticised on a global scale, because there were people say, hang on, that's a lot for someone who's just being diagnosed and recovering. So we've amended it and we've acknowledged it. And we said, okay, it's important to, to strive towards that. But as Maxime said, you know, even if you can just do five minutes, that's a start. Because if people look at that 150 minutes, they'll say, there is no way I'm going to achieve that at the moment. So I'm just going to, it's the barrier is too large and I won't start at all. So we've flipped that. You know, if you can do five minutes a day, Maybe tomorrow you can go for seven minutes. The next day you can do nine minutes. And then, you know, these slow, slow incremental changes over time, they, they add up. So day to day or week to week, it might not be big. But month to month, then you, you, you've jumped from five minutes to, to 30 minutes in, in two months. And then you strive towards the guidelines. So I think slow and steady sort of gets you towards
2: where you need to be. And when you are a child, you wake up in the morning, you go outside with your friends. You are on your bike, then you come back for lunch, and then you come back again outside for doing more physical activity with your friends. So even if you are in treatment, you can do five minutes during the morning, five minutes during the afternoon, and at the end of the day, it's 10 minutes of physical activity. So sometimes you just need to find the right time when you feel great. And then do a little bit of exercise, get some rest, do again, and find your own space. On on pace.
1: During my treatment for um it was two years long, and during almost all of it, I was like anemic to the point I was getting blood transfusions. And I think I felt like, oh, like I can't do anything that I would have considered exercise before. Um, so like I felt like what did I do that actually like counted? But like like you said, even just like walking a little bit around your yard or something counts. And I definitely think that's something that should be encouraged more. Because so I definitely did try and walk, but if maybe like someone was prompting me to do it more, I might've done it to an even greater extent.
0: I add to that and completely agree. Like I think, and I, I forget one of you mentioned it at the beginning, but it's about looking at like what, what it means for the new you. Um, And so like when I thought about exercise during treatment, it was so like, oh, this is not even close to what I used to be able to do, but maybe the framing is like, this is what I can do right now. Easier said than done. I just couldn't agree more with Abby's point that maybe it didn't register as like exercise, but at the time it was, you know, physical exertion. You know, how, how can you encourage that? Um, So framing, I think plays, plays a big part of it. Yeah. I think that's a really important point. And as Maxim said, psychological aspect of adjusting your expectation, I think is really important because, you know, you, don't, you might be put off by saying, you know, I used to be able to do X, Y and Z and now I can't, so I'm not going to do anything. But I think yeah, having that mind shift that it's, you know, it's challenging enough for what you do now and we have to rebuild the bricks to get, you know, to build that wall and get that uh, confidence back is super important and something that might not have felt like exercise before and now is physically challenging enough and doesn't have to be so structured. Just any any movement is great. It's a lot of frustration. Yeah,
2: when you are not able to work or doing something you really enjoyed before, and you had cancer, so you can be really angry about that. So you need to find something new that you like, something maybe you never tried before. And yes, that's a lot of frustration. And you need to move forward because you can be stuck here because it will affect your psychological health so that's why everyone needs support that's why we all need to work together and exercise is really great but if you don't find something you really like so exercise sometimes can be also a lot of frustrations <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we are here for example to help you to help everyone to get you support and we are learning how to do it because it's a new area, new field of interest, doing exercise for children and area. It wasn't even imaginable a few years ago. So now we are here, we are trying to understand
0: how we can do it together. It's a difficult population, you know, if you have a an older retired breast cancer survivor, you know, they're not working. They have time. But, you know, you you population, you you AYAs and kids, you know, you're back to school, you're going to uni, you're you're finding yourself at you know, you just want to go back and hang out with your friends. So your schedules might be full. You might be at college five days a week. So fitting it in into the lifestyle, you know, can be a challenge as well. So there's, it's a really unique situation that you're in and, you know, we don't want to make exercise a burden. It's just trying to make it fit in and and enjoyable is so key to fit in with the actual normal things that a young adult should be doing as well. Like just normal life. So it's, it is a challenge, um, but hopefully we'll all be able to get there. Just want to say in response to both of those, both of those are are just really insightful. um, I would say and, and reflect a lot what I, what I have felt as a, as a patient and survivor one way to stay active is through sports. I love playing sports and and not that I was, you know, this star athlete beforehand, but now that I have started replaying them and I'm just, you know, it, the athleticism is not there and things like that. As you mentioned, that can be frustrating. And that's such a great idea that maybe, maybe the way to really, you know, feel good about something is try something new where you don't have a baseline um, and, you know, build something that's exciting. That's, that's really interesting and then Dr. Misrahi, like the, the finding the time and the routine and, you know, trying to get back to normal life. That's, that's just really, really true. And and it's, I think just speaks to the point of like knowing how much help it can, it can be and how important it is, is, is really going to be key. And just making sure that you, you do your best to find the time when you have it. I want to just say thank you again, but I want to wrap up with, you know, asking when you look at this field and this work in general. What do you see as the, the biggest misconceptions or the biggest misunderstandings? Um, and, and what tips do you recommend? Like if they're, you know, if a, if a patient only heard one thing, what would what would you tell them? I think one of the misconceptions about exercise is that exercise
2: can be dangerous. Because for a lot of people, exercise is only about performance. It's only about you need to be the best in your sport. You need to have gold middles and everything. But exercise can also be for your health. It can also be just walking, running at a low low pace. It can be something you are enjoying, like playing with your friends. I think it's one of the misconceptions that exercise is too dangerous because you need to be at high intensity. So, for a lot of people, doing exercise during treatment is not even possible because how can I? push myself while i am not able to get out of my bed but exercise is just moving moving a little bit more every day for our health everyone is different everyone has a different cancer so everyone needs a different exercise prescription that's something really important
0: yeah that's that's the big challenge though as well because of resourcing you know the the doctors and the nurses, they're not trained in exercise prescription. They just might have the knowledge that exercise is beneficial. So it's not enough, like it can help motivate, but I think something structured or detailed or personalized is pretty key to making sure that they're doing the right thing for what they're interested in is, is important. I think my message as well would be exercise during treatment is safe, but it's important even if it's so basic, because if you have you know, like you said, Abby, two years of treatment, that's that's a long time. If you go two years of, of inactivity in addition to all the, the treatment that you're receiving, your physical function is gonna drop so much from from the baseline over that two years that when you finish treatment and now you're ready to get your life back, you're you know, it's an uphill battle to get back into what you want to do. But if you can just mitigate that, if you can bridge that gap and sort of you know, you'll decline, but maybe decline only halfway. Or maybe you'll even just maintain physical function. Who knows? Um, by just doing some basic activities. That will be really beneficial from when you finish treatment and want to get back into your normal life and resume where you left off. Great. And I have one last
2: question for you because you asked us a lot of questions. I have one for you. What do you enjoy about exercising? And how exercise helps
0: you during your treatments? And what message you would like to share? Yeah, as much as possible, I, I have tried to exercise and it's been, it's been critical in my, my overall well-being as, I, as I've gone through, through treatment and into survivorship. On the other side of the worst parts of treatment, there can be something very empowering about exercise when you see yourself going for a run when you were bedridden for a time period it can just feel very empowering and you can, you know, take a lot of stock in that progress that you've made and it just feels very freeing. And the second thing is, is a point we've touched on a little bit, but like it, it provides huge mental health benefits too. Just, just being able to like take your mind off things for a little bit, be active, get the endorphins flowing. It really helps with, with mental being as well. So I enjoy it most of the time I'll say, but if anything, it can be an investment instead of just making Quality of life better. So, as much as I can, I've I've tried to to stay active, but you know, I'm also mindful that there are setbacks. There are times when when you can't do much. And as you two have said, maybe it's just doing whatever you can.
1: Yeah, I think I would add to that too is that, like, even if you're just going for a walk, that's going to make you feel better. Like, you're going to be feeling the sunlight, like you're moving a little bit, and stuff like that can help you return to normal. And I know, like, for me, exercising regularly can be hard. So, I think not putting yourself down for that is important and just doing like what you can doing something like you said i think several times something is always better than nothing so um i think just like taking that into account and then doing the best you can
0: well thank you all for listening to this episode of life on pause i i hope you enjoyed this conversation on on the role of exercise during and after treatment thanks for listening to life on pause
1: ideas or suggestions for future episodes, feel free to share them with us. Join us for the next recording on the third Tuesday of the month. Until Until next next time. time.